Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Let that be the cry of our hearts this morning, that you would rest on us, on our families, on our marriages, on our kids, on our businesses. Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place this morning. Would you come? Even as we worship, you'd begin to minister to the hearts of your people. God, that you would do what we cannot do in our own strength. Lift up the name of Jesus. God, we're so grateful. We're so thankful for what you've done for us on the cross. God, that you were obedient even under death. You didn't stay dead. You rose victorious. God, I thank you. Right now, I just speak by faith. Victory. I speak life. I speak hope. Father, where hope's been lost, I speak hope. I speak love. I speak restoration to what you've done for us at Calvary. Holy Spirit, would you come now and minister to your people? God, we desire you. God, above everything else, we know that we need the Holy Spirit. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you. God, our churches need you. Our government needs you. Our families need you. Our kids need you. Holy Spirit, would you come? Have your way this morning. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we just lift up the name of Jesus this morning? You know, I say it, but I mean it. He is worthy to be praised, to be honored, to be glorified. I think... We should huddle closer. Can you guys come move forward, please? Don't be shy. I don't bite hard. Just a little. Come forward. Eddie. So good to see you in the house, mate. We love you. You and Nushi, you are a blessing. Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm part of the team here at C3 Noosa. I have the privilege of bringing you a word this morning. So get ready. It's going to be good. This month we are talking around all things, prepare the table, and two weeks ago we kicked off the season and I started by saying that you and I have been invited, God has invited us to a table of communion with him, and in Psalms it says that he prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies, so in the midst of challenge and struggle in our valleys, it's there that God prepares a place of communion for you and I, but because of where it is, I was saying that the enemy often looks for opportunity to pull up a chair at the table, become that uninvited guest. But I reminded us that you and I, through the work that Christ has done for us on Calvary, have the ability to actually narrate the story of our lives. And so how do we overcome the enemy? By recognizing the lies that he tells us at the table, by binding them in Jesus' name, and by beginning to speak his word and his truth into our circumstances. And then last Sunday... Pastor Christian brought a brilliant message about not only being invited, but about being the invitation yourself, about 
the way that we live as a witness to what Christ has done in and through us, we can invite others to be partakers at that table. We can be the ones that are the signposts pointing others to Christ. And so the title of my message this morning is this two better than one. And so we've got to start by understanding this, that you and I have been created in the image of God, in yeah. his likeness. Yeah. Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God has always existed in community. Yeah. In community with the Spirit and with the Son. So he, by nature, is a relational God. And so he designs us, then, as relational Beings, that it's in our DNA to be relational, to connect. And yeah. in John, we find Jesus talking to his disciples about his father. And the disciples say to Jesus, show us the father. We don't know him. Would you show us? And that'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus says to Philip, who asks him this, he says, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father? And the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus and the Father have always existed together in community. Yeah. So the gospel, the message of the gospel is one that we share in relationship and community. The work of the Holy Spirit that he does in and through us is the work that happens when we do life in connection and in community with others. And one of the biggest challenges we face right now in, in our society and world is just the championing of individualism, right? That it's all about you, that you are the most important person. You're all that matters. And it's that culture that elevates the self to say, well, it's about you. It's about your needs, your wants, your desires. It's your right to be heard, your right to be loved, your right to be ch cherished. And so we create this culture where it's me first and you second. Yeah. Me first and you second. But I want to just encourage you this morning that that, in fact, is the lie of the enemy. Because what he is trying to do is to mutate and deform God's original design and God's original purpose for us. Yes, you're cherished. Yes, you're loved. Yes, you're significant. I spoke two weeks ago and I said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew everything about you. But it doesn't stop there. You see, if all we understand is that our identity is in Christ, yes, that's great. That gives us a foundation from which we move forward in this life blessed, move forward on this life in purpose. But we've got to understand that the work for which Christ went to the cross for actually aligns us to the purpose of we are now set and ready and empowered to go forth and witness yes. and bear witness of the work that he's done for us and be that salt and the light in the earth. But we cannot partake of that mission on our own. It's designed to be carried out in the context of community, in the context of relationship. And so we can only do that in the context of community and relationship. And we've got to understand that our identity in Christ should be the starting point by which we're okay to get out there and witness. We're okay to get out there and serve. We're okay to go out there and put ourselves last so that we can be first because we know who we are in Christ. Yeah. And so, so strong is that desire to elevate ourselves in our culture and society that we find it even happening amongst the disciples, those closest to Jesus. In Mark 10, 35, it says this, 
Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do? So they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Be baptized with the baptism I am baptizing you with. And they said, We are able. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to get greatly displeased with James and John. Who do these guys think that they are? But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever you desire to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's John and James. Jesus, we want the best seats in the house. In glory, we want to sit with you on the right and on the left, elevated above the many. That's where we want to be. You see, the problem with individualism is it wants to take you from being a worshipper in your life to the one being worshipped. It wants to take you from the throne room floor and put you on the throne. But you and I have not been designed for that. And so Jesus understands that and he begins to speak into it. He says, guys, you got it about all wrong. You want recognition. You want to be elevated. Then you've got to learn how to serve in your life. You want to, you want to be, uh, have notoriety. Well, you've got to learn how to serve in your life. You want to be first? Well, you've got to understand it's about putting yourself last. Because even I, the only one that deserves true worship, that deserves to be served, that deserves to be ele elevated, chose to come into this world not to do that, but to serve. But to put myself last. To give my life as a ransom for many. And so as I just said, our security in our identity allows us to exercise humility, to be comfortable serving, to put ourselves last and not first, and not have that shake our world and make us insecure and make us unstable. But the individualistic lifestyle is a life that lives in conflict to what God has called us to live. It's a lie that the enemy wants us to buy into. And I reminded us that at the beginning of this series, when the enemy is sitting at your table, what he's wanting to do is put thoughts into your mind destructive thoughts and the problem with that is what that thoughts left unchecked eventually become actions and actions walk down your lives that are not godly can destroy your life in james 1 14 it says this but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and then enticed and when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death the world again says it's about you, it's about your desires, it's about your wants and your needs. Trust them. Yeah. Whatever feels right in the moment, just do it. Who's everyone else to tell you you can't? Whatever you're feeling in the moment, just do it. But what the world does tell you about desires that are not from God is that those desires by their very nature are designed to pull you away from the path God's called you to walk on. Yeah. And it's a path that not only you are walking on, but it's a path that believers together are walking on. It's a community walking together in a purpose for yeah. God. So if you are following your own desires that lead you off the path, what's happening is those desires are beginning to isolate you in your life. They're taking you away from fellowship. And now all of a sudden you become vulnerable. And you're vulnerable to what? To that roaring lion that's roaming around yeah. seeking whom he may devour. Amen? Yeah. 
And the divine shepherd, Christ, understands the tactics of the devil, of the lion all too well. And so through King David, Psalm 37, 4, he says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. As you delight yourself in God, he says, I will give you the desires that manifest in your life and in your heart. And then if you would walk with me and trust me with those desires, then in time I will bring them to pass. But all this happens within the context of community and connection, not in isolation. And that is the great lie of the enemy that we have to go it alone if we are to make it on our own. Amen. You know, and I confess that there have been seasons and times in my life where I've followed after my own desires, selfish desires, and I've convinced myself that, you know what, Justin, it's just better if you go it alone. Do life on your own, your way, according to your plans. And so what happens is you stop connecting. You begin to draw away. You stop turning up. You stop wanting to, to fellowship. What I began to do was start to compromise the quality of my friendships and go after people that would begin to tell me what I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Amen? That's true. And hand on heart, how do you think those seasons went for me? I can promise you, not great. Going in alone, I began to get frustrated. I began to get angry. I began to build up more debt. I began to give in to temptations that were never an issue for me. Now they were. And what I didn't want to admit was I was beginning to experience the effects of living in isolation from connection and fellowship. What was happening is my own desires were beginning to give birth to sin in my life that was starting to bring forth death. That's what I was experiencing. And so this morning I want you to understand that there is something powerful about actually staying in fellowship and staying in community. It's not just a good idea. It's actually God-purposed. It's God-ordained. It's God-designed. Amen? And so I've used this analogy before, but it's that dance of survival between the lion and the buffalo, right? Enemies as old as time. The lion wants to take out the buffalo, but it wants to take out the weak and the young because it knows that it has a very slim chance of taking on all the big buffalo, weighing half a ton each, staring it down in the open plains, right? It's not going to happen. So the tactic of the lion is to draw out, to divide away from, so that it can overcome. I want to tell you this morning, the strategy of the enemy is no different in your life. He wants to draw you out of fellowship. He wants to divide you away from community so he can overcome. So if you can learn to surround yourself with men and women of faith, men and women with wisdom and discernment and spiritual maturity on their life, I can promise you it's almost impossible for the enemy to take you out. It's almost impossible. And your flourishing in this faith will very much depend on your ability to be able to invest in and cultivate and build godly relationships around you. For all those introverts out there, it's very hard to hear, but that's the inconvenient truth of it all. Cultivating relationships with one another. King Solomon, full of the wisdom of God, he speaks into this truth in Ecclesiastes 4.9. It's scripture we know well. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, 
Two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Though one may over, be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. So the problem with the baby buffalo is that he's young. And through lack of time and experience, he's not able to discern danger in his environment until it's too late. And often the danger is upon him and it's over. Whereas when we look at the mature buffalo, the bull, who's had a little bit more time and experience in life, he's done the hard yards, maybe he's wearing a few scars from previous battles fought, He's built the wisdom and discernment in his life to understand before he even sees danger, he smells it on the wind and something's not right, so he can position himself to respond accordingly. So what is Solomon speaking into the scripture? He's saying this as a believer of Christ. If you will surround yourself with people that have perhaps gone a little bit further, that have fought maybe a few more battles, have gone through a bit of warfare, worn the scars, but overcome, so they've earned that right to carry discernment and wisdom in their life. If you intentionally surround yourself with these people, what happens is when you think it's good to go it alone, they come alongside you and say, hey, listen, something's not right. I sense danger in your life. I know you can't see it because you're walking with your head down. But I'm sniffing the scent of the lion on the winds, and I'm here to tell you through time and experience and my commitment to you in your life that you've got to begin to look up. Because there's something on the horizon that's not going to be good for you. In fact, I want to walk with you and I want you to come back into the safety of the herd. Amen? Amen. So, wisdom and discernment on people's lives in your world intentionally walking this walk of faith. You see, the moment the buffalo smells danger... Something's not right. What does he do? He sends out a distress call to the herd. And wherever they are, they begin to regroup. And they bring the small calves into the middle of this ring. The bulls are on the outside. And so they're positioned and ready to face whatever's coming, even when they can't see it. But they know it's there. I want to tell you, likewise, in our lives, we need people in our world, connections in our world. God designed people in our world that will help us shape and form community so that we can stand together and help one another through times where we may not see the danger, but it's there. But they know, they see it. They go, come, I want you to walk with me. I want you to trust me. Because in connection and fellowship, you have a far better chance of resisting the attacks of the enemy. On your own, in isolation, it's very difficult. Amen. And this is the Apostle Paul's great admonition to the church in Corinth. So he goes on his ministry, missionary work, he plants the church, he comes back in another season to find what? That the believers there are still babies in their faith. They still need the milk of the word. They haven't matured or grown or allowed themselves to go through experiences in life. And so what's happened is they haven't been able to recognize that the enemy has quietly come in and begin to cause strife and division. And so Paul rocks up and that's all he sees. A church that's divided, a church that's in strife and he goes, guys, It's frustrating because I've come to you only to find that you're still babies in the faith. By now, you should be mature men and women of faith, chewing on the meat of the word, able to discern that the enemy is trying to come in and stand against him, but you haven't. You haven't recognized that, and now the enemy is bringing division and he's causing damage. So I want to tell you there is power in two or more. There is power in two or more. And I want to encourage us again this morning that it's time to dig again that soil and begin to plant again and what are those seeds of godly friendships in your life. And not just any friendships. 
You see, there's two types of friendships in this world. There's reactive friendships and there's proactive friendships. So what's a reactive friend? A reactive friend is someone that is there because they have to be. They're not really interested in trying. They don't invest. They don't put in the time or work with you. You can guarantee they're there when times are good and you're celebrating life. But when the valleys of your life come, they're nowhere to be found. It's those friends that only seem to talk to you when they want something from you. Who's ever had friends like that? <laughs> Amen? Hey, so great to see you, by the way. Could you just blah, 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 blah. Hey, so sorry to hear about that. But anyway, could you just, no, no, no. Oh, your marriage is falling apart. But look, you know what? I'm really stressed for cat. Could you give me somebody right now? Those friends, they're only there when they need something. So a proactive friend then is someone that is intentional about investing in your friendship. Yeah. Intentional about putting in the time and work to build that friendship. A proactive friend is actually someone that sees potential in your life and is determined in and of themselves, I'm committed to seeing that potential brought out of your life. A proactive friend is someone that will model Christ-like behavior, which is what? They'll serve. They'll put themselves last, not first. They'll risk upsetting you to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Who's had those friends in your life? You hate them at the beginning. I need to find out that probably what they had to say was actually right. right? They will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And probably the most precious characteristic of a proactive friend is that they will help you recognize danger in your life before you see it. They will help you see And honestly, hand on heart, I can remember and I can put down my ability to faithfully walk with God over 27 years through the valleys and the mountains, I can put to seasons in my life where I've been sat down by proactive friends and said, Justin, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing this. Whatever it is that you are clinging to, it's not good for you. It's going to hurt you. I know you're walking with your eyes down, but you've got to look up because God wants you to go this way, but right now you're going that way. I want you to walk with me, Justin. I want you to come back into connection and fellowship because I see what's on your life. And I'm committed to you. That is how I've walked through my journey with Christ. Not in isolation, but in connection. You see, proactive friends have your spiritual health at heart. And so they will pray for you. They will keep confidence with you. They will protect you and be there when you're at your worst. And they will champion you when you are at your best. Amen? For all the controversy and different theology around King David and Jonathan, my belief is this, that Jonathan found, David found a proactive friend in Jonathan. The Bible says that when they first met in the courts of King Saul, they were like brothers, they bonded, they loved each other more than their own soul. And the reason I believe this is because what I find interesting is that Jonathan, above David, actually had the claim and rights to the throne of Israel. By blood and law, Jonathan should have been the next in line for that. But the Bible says early on in their relationship, when he met David, what he did was he gave David his ring. He put his robe around David. He gave David his armor and his sword. What is he doing? He's saying, I recognize the godly kingship anointing on your life that supersedes mine. And so I am prepared to do whatever it takes to help you ascend the throne. I'm going to step out of the way. And it was at a risk to Jonathan of exile, of treason, of death. But he said, I'm going to do it anyway. And here's the deal with proactive friends. Proactive friends will recognize the call of God on your life. And in seasons where it's required, 
they will humbly move out of the way to the sidelines and be willing to champion you on into purpose. Who needs friends like that in their world? Amen. If you don't have friends like that in your world, I want to suggest that maybe it's time that we start investing into somebody else's life. That we start being that friend for somebody else because you've got to understand that is where the enemy is defeated. Yeah. So often in big church culture, we step back and we, we hear the, the conversations and the demonstrations of the word of the spirit and the sword and, and, and spiritual warfare. And you've got to go into battle and all that is true. But in my experience over 27 years, it's those times in confidence with people that have your best interests at heart that are going to get you through things. Yeah. That can hold confidence with you. That can champion you. That can open your eyes to see inconvenient truths in your life when you don't want to see them. But it's because, like Jonathan, they have your best interests at heart. And they want to see you walk into purpose that God has called you to. Amen. John 15.30 says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That is where the enemy is defeated, on that battleground of connection. Yeah. As we model love for others that Christ has for us. Amen. It's the same love that broke the power of darkness, took back the keys of life and death from the devil. And sometimes we underestimate the power of connection. But I want you to understand it's the same love. When Christ went to the cross, what drove him to the cross it was the fact that he loved you. Yeah. Simply that. He loved you enough. That he said, I mean, this is worth it. This is worth the pain. The, the horror that I'm about to go through is worth it. When we, on a smaller scale, perhaps, in connection and community, demonstrate the same kind of love that no matter how ugly it is, when I step into your life, no matter what it is I see, I'm committed to walking with you in faith, investing in you, not giving up on you because I believe in you. It has the same effect on the plans and purposes on the enemy. It crushes them. Yeah. Stops the devil in his tracks. All of a sudden, you're drawn out of isolation back into the herd. Then he's like, well, this is going to be a little bit harder to take you out now because it's not just you. There's a community of believers standing in agreement with you in your life to say, hang on a second. No, no, you're not taking this brother out. I'm standing with him. Okay. You come after the brother, you're going to come after me. Right? Fathers, do whatever you like to me. Mess with my kids. It's going to get ugly very quickly, right? Who would not do anything for the safety of your children? Yeah. God wants us to model that same spiritual life with one another in connection. Man, I can see the enemies all over your life, but I'm going to come in and intervene and I'm going to walk with you because there's a call and a purpose on your life. He's not taking you out today. Not on my watch, he ain't, right? That's the community that God is calling us to walk with. And so Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are all running the race. Yeah. We're all running it with the purpose to what? Get to the end. Reach the prize for which Christ has called us. But I promise you, we're not running it alone. We're all running the race. And sometimes you just need that friend alongside you to encourage you to take a drink every now and then. To stay hydrated. To champion you to the finish line. To help you keep praying when you've given up. To get down and dirty with you when life is messy. To speak life into your world when all you can see is death, right? Those friends that will take off their shoes and actually get down in the mud with you when it's ugly and say, come on, mate. I'm going to pull you through this because I believe in you. Amen. Two are better than one. 
Two are better than one. And my question is, when we open our doors to an individualistic world, what do they say? What does that connection look like? What should our relationships look like? How do we actually model, well, two are better than one? Apostle Paul in Romans 12 gives us an idea. He says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So here's the thing. Your ability to keep fighting this good fight of faith, your ability to keep running the race set before you and get to the end, will depend on your ability to intentionally invest in and build godly relationships, proactive friendships. Your ability to get to the end and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, are not going to be because you were able to do it on your own. The Christian life, by design, does not work in isolation. We have to journey alongside brothers and sisters, championing one another in the faith. And in the context of connection and community, you see the Spirit of God at work. That's how He works. That's the environment that we call Him into. Not in isolation. Yes, He's always there for us. We're never separated from the presence of God. But I've seen in my years that He moves through that connection of relationship. Time spent with one another. And I know that for most of us, life is full. Life is busy and we have obligations and we're juggling the kids and when you look at calendars, it seems like we've squeezed out every little bit of time that we have no time to invest into godly friendships. And the reality check, I think, for us is this, that godly friendships, proactive friendships, take intentionality. Yes. They take time. They take purpose. They take us looking at the calendar going, you know what? Today I'm going to call up somebody and I'm going to go sit with them and I'm going to have a coffee with them and I'm going to... Just speaking of the world, I know they're going through something. Yes, I'm busy. Yes, my kids are calling me this way and that. But I'm going to go speak life into somebody else's life. I see the call of God on their world. And I don't want to see them robbed of it, so I'm going to step in. But it takes work. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Godly friendships fall under the same law of sowing and reaping in the kingdom of God. If you want to reap these friendships, you must sow and invest time into these friendships. You must sow and invest time into these friendships. Not only that, but you must be able to lay down and model Christ and serve where serving is required. Put yourself last where it's required. Trust God with what it is that you are sowing and investing into the life of another. God, I don't actually know the answers here. I don't actually know how this is going to turn out. But what I do know is you've called me to walk in the context of community. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And we become so scared and so quiet in the world that we live in, where everyone's offended, where everyone's insulted, where no one's doing the right thing, that we've stopped stepping out by faith and made us say, you know what, this is right, that's wrong. 
This is the truth you need to hear. I want to lay hands on you and pray with you and believe with you that God is who he says he is. I know you're struggling with the word of God, but I'm going to stand with you until we see breakthrough in your life. Those are the friendships and that's the context that we do our faith in. That is for the purpose for which Christ died. When he said to us, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Know that I am with you always to the end of this age. The same authority that I have, I give to you. He designed that so that it has its outworking in the context of relationship. Hey, do you know about Christ? Let me walk with you. Let me journey with you. The enemy would say, don't worry about it. Go it alone. Don't walk with that person. They've got problems. Don't you understand that? Now they're your problems. Now what are you going to do? No, no, Christ says, if you would serve, if you would come into a relationship and say, it's not about me, I'm going to put my agenda aside because God is at work in your life and I want to walk with you through those valleys, you're going to get to the other side. Most times we get through the valleys of life, not on our own, but arm in arm with other people who are prepared to stay the journey with us and not give up. There have been people in my world that have just refused to give up on me. When I thought, surely it's not worth it. I'm the lost cause. Just stop now. They said, no, no, no. There's a greater call on your life, Justin. I want to walk with you. I want to journey with you. And you're going to get through this. And I haven't believed it at the time. My head's been down. But can I tell you, I, for whatever reason, said, okay, I'll journey with you. I've come out the other side. I've come out the other side. That is the work of the Holy Spirit on a practical level in your life. I might get us to stand up this morning. If I get the band up, if I can, that would be great. Two are better than one. And as we begin to finish out this series on preparing the table, I want you to understand this. God has invited you to the table. Yes, it's in the presence of your enemies. But as Pastor Christian said, we're called to be the invitation. To show other people the way and we're called to do it together in the context of relationship, in the context of community. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, well that's amazing, but I don't have that in my life. And it's the same old story, right? Nobody loves me, everybody hates me, just because I eat worms. Big ones, fat ones, thin ones, skinny ones. No one calls me, no one emails me, no one cares about me, pastor hasn't visited me forever. Maybe God is calling you to step out. Maybe God is waiting for you to step out of the boat first. To take that step of faith for another. To say, I'm waiting for you to move so I can move. I'm waiting for you to pick up the phone and call that person. I'm waiting for you to invest your time in that person. I know it's hard, but do it anyway because I love them. And I'm choosing to use you to get to them. How amazing is our God that he would choose to use people to change the world of other people. But that's what he calls us to do. So I want to encourage you, if that's not you and you are struggling and you're feeling isolated and you're feeling alone, I want to pray with you this morning. So often our faith becomes reactive and we're waiting for God to do something before we move because we feel stuck. But God is saying, I want you to step out. Jesus didn't wait for the Father. He stepped out in obedience. He said, God, you've called me to do something, but unless I do it, nothing's going to happen, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out. I'm going to be obedient even unto the death on the cross. And so I want to put a challenge out to you as we 
finish up the season soon and we're coming to the second half of the year, we finish strong, but be intentional about your relationships. You're not designed to go it alone. Who are those people in your world that you need to begin to invest into? Who is it that you can sow in? It doesn't have to be 10, 20, 30 people. Who's that person that you can invest time, love, commitment to? And watch what God does in your life. So many times blessing has come on our world when I haven't even expected it and I've simply been faithful to invest into the life of another. God moves. So why don't we just close our eyes this morning. Father, I thank you. You have called us. Two are better than one. That we don't have to walk life. We don't have to walk this journey of faith on our own. God, and by faith this morning, I speak over every family. Every man, woman, and child that is walking alone, feeling alone, isolated. God, that they call back into the community of faith. God, that you've called us not only to speak your word, but to be hands and feet, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, walking in love, walking in community, daring to do what the world says, don't bother doing, it's not worth it. But God, we know it's so worth it. And so, Father, right now, I thank you that as we go from this place, we determine in our hearts by faith to be those friends to others. That we're going to start proactively investing into the lives of others, that your love will be manifest. That every person has a place and a calling in the body of Christ. That we would walk it out together in one accord, in unity. God, that we would not be found to be babies in the faith but we would grow up in our maturity, ready to, to exercise wisdom and discernment in the lives of ourselves and others. God, I thank you. I just declare by faith that we stand in victory this morning. The enemy has been defeated at Calvary, and we stand together unified and declared that we would go forward and take victory in our lives and the lives of others. In the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for friendships being strengthened. From today forward, God, I thank you for relationships being strengthened. I thank you that we begin to join arms again in those valleys of life and commit to seeing one another walk through the other side. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. We just give God praise this morning. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.